0: guys. Nice. Well, hey, Mary, in between Christmas and New Year's week, this is always kind of a funky week for everybody, huh? All the retail people are saying, oh, goodness. All the kids are like, yeah, let's go, let's go sledding. I love this week. But I I want us to look back just for um, a couple of minutes to um, a couple of days ago and ask, what was the best gift that you gave this year? What was your favorite gift to give this year? Can you think about that? I remember um, my, uh, my favorite Christmas gift that I could remember actually was quite a few years ago when John and I were living in Montana, and, uh, and John had taken up outdoor photography. And we did a lot of hiking and skiing. This was pre-kids when we got to go hiking and skiing and, and do a lot of that um, together. And so he got really good at capturing the beauty in the mountains um, on his camera. And so one Christmas I had um, the idea to make a calendar to go through and pick out some of his best picks and make a calendar out of those. And this was pre-digital era, pre-Shutterfly, where all you have to do is like click and there they send you the calendar. I had to actually go through, pick out the picks, uh, match them with the negatives, take them down to the coffee shop and uh, and put it all together in a calendar. And then wrap it up, put it under the tree. And I remember when John wrapped it up, um, I was so excited. Saved it for very last. And then he opened it up, and he's going through, and he was going way too slow for me. So I like jumped in his lap like a six-year-old, and I started going through and showing him all the pictures I had put into this calendar for him. And, and I pointed out, I was like, see, there's the mama moose and her baby twins. You caught that picture, and I remember this? This was that lake, this was that lake where you kept saying, it's just a little farther. It's just around the corner. For five miles, you said that. That's that lake. I loved giving that gift because it was fun to walk through together with him but because I also knew that it would mean something to John. I I looked forward to watching his response. And isn't that what we all hope for when we give a gift? We hope for a favorable response from the recipient. Well, just two days ago, we celebrated the greatest gift given to mankind, Jesus Christ. And I imagine that when God sent his only son to us, that he knew he was giving something of great worth. And he looked forward to our response as well. He was hoping that we would truly appreciate and honor what we were given. Because to be honest, every time we are given a gift, we have a choice in our response, right? We can either reject the gift and give little platitudes like, ah, thank you. Or we can really welcome and appreciate the gift. Well, this morning we're going to take, re- take a look at the response of a particular group of men as they discovered God's gift to humanity because their reaction is exactly what I believe God is looking for in each of us as we unwrap the gift Jesus Christ. So we're going to op- open up to the book of Matthew. If you've got your handy-dandy uh, iPhone or phone or whatever, um, go ahead and open up. We're in Matthew chapter 2. I know some of you actually still have paper Bibles out there. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Here's what it says. You may recognize these guys as the wise men or three kings. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So here's the picture. Mary has already ridden her donkey to Bethlehem. She's already given birth to baby Jesus in all of his glory. And about the same time, the heavens declare Jesus' glory with a beautiful and very distinct star which is observed with some great interest by wise men about 1,000 miles away. And I hate to debunk anyone's favorite Christmas carol, but there's no foundation in the Bible, no biblical foundation that there were, that there were only three wise men or that they were actually kings. More likely, they were advisors to kings. They were of a very priestly religious caste from Persia or Babylon, which would be um, northern Iran in present day. And some versions of scripture actually refer to them as the magi. And yeah, that is the root word for magic, but not the sleight of hand magic as we would define the word. The magi were actually devoted to astrology. They were devoted to the interpretation of dreams and any practice of religion that utilized supernatural power to influence men or circumstances. So when the magi saw the star in the east, they knew something was up. They were pretty darn smart. They put together the prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures of the coming Messiah with the appearance of the star, and they decided that this new discovery was important enough for them to empty their bank accounts of all their precious assets, for them to load up two to three months' worth of Gatorade and beef jerky and Costco fruit leathers and jump on their trusty two hump steeds and take off for Jerusalem a thousand miles away. This would like be, or be like any one of us loading up a backpack with a bunch of snacks and taking off on a or trusty Razor Scooters, Destination Colorado, somewhere like that. So along the way, they decide to stop for directions in Jerusalem, maybe, I, I think they might have been looking for a Dutch Americano, but they stop at the palace, and they talk to the, uh, King Herod's own wise men. And they find out that uh, the baby Jesus, is, or the Messiah is prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. They needed a specific direction. So they leave the palace and they start on their journey again. And scripture says that the star, that the star once again appears to them, which means that at some point, they didn't see it. They were going forward on faith. But the star once again appears to them, and here's their response. Matthew 2.10 says this. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now think about that. When was the last time you felt overjoyed? Think about the phrase for a minute, overjoyed. You may have been joy-filled just a few days ago when you opened your new, let's mess with the postal system drone, right, flew it around. You may have been joyful when you finished your last final a couple of weeks ago, or maybe when you signed the papers to your first new car. Remember what that was? Mine was a powder blue Volkswagen. We fit nine football players in it when I was a senior <coughs> in high school. Love that. I was joyful on that day, but overjoyed? Think overjoyed. The wise men. That was where they were at. They saw the star and they were overjoyed because they saw their destination, it was in sight. They knew that they were gonna meet the King of Kings, this this long prophesied Messiah, and their attitude was joyful. See, there's great joy when we anticipate an encounter with Jesus. And this is where the wise men were at, overjoyed to continue their journey. And then they were there, and they came into Christ's presence. Can you imagine what that was like? Coming into Christ's presence. Matthew 2.11 says this, On coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. So don't go throw away your nativity scenes, but the wise men were not gathered with the shepherds and with the donkeys and, and the sheep and the goats and everything on the night baby Jesus was born. More likely they arrived in Bethlehem when Jesus was just under a year old Okay, and Mary and Joseph would have moved out of the stable by now and into the house proper. All of the people who had been in Bethlehem for the census would have long gone home, so Mary and Joseph were in the house. And here's the wise men. The wise men enter the house, and there before them is the one that they'd been anticipating, the Messiah. And as they came into the presence of the Lord, the one true living God incarnate, they bowed down and they worshiped him meaning that they hit the dirt on their faces, paying homage to the Christ child, humbling themselves before the baby Jesus. Now, those can be just words to us, but there's some pretty big significance, because the Magi were not Jews. This was not their long-awaited Messiah. In fact, if the Magi lived in 2015, they would most likely be genius-level scientists, with giant vocabularies, IQs off the charts, and positions seating them at the table with world leaders, major world leaders. They were incredibly intelligent men, but they were probably not churchgoers. If they had a religion, their religion was probably knowledge. And yet, their first reaction to their first encounter with Jesus Christ was worship. You know what I love about that fact is that these guys were geniuses. See, some people think to become a Christian, you've got to check your brain at the door. Good morning, welcome to church. Check your brain here. But educated, critical-thinking people worship God, too. Science is not an enemy of faith, and faith does not have to be an enemy of science. So here we are with these uber-smart, non-church-going wise men, and these are who God inspired through an unusual astronomical event and the study of his word, to go out on an unusual journey, a thousand-mile journey. I wonder if any of you have here have been on a similar journey in search of one who can save you. I wonder if there's something that led you here. Maybe a family member invited you on Christmas Eve and you decided to come back and check this out. What is this church thing all about? Maybe there is this hope in you that Jesus really is real and he really does have the power to save you. I imagine the wise men felt much the same. Hopeful and drawn forward by something unexplainable. And then they met Jesus. And their lives would never be the same. Have you met Jesus Christ yet? Have you opened your heart to him and and allowed his Holy Spirit to fill you with the knowledge and the certainty that he alone is Lord? Have you allowed Jesus Christ to rock your world? If you can't say yes, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a little bit to respond to Jesus and to accept him as Lord and Savior, because he alone has the power to save. That's what, that's what the name Jesus means. It means Savior. And when we encounter Jesus, the Savior, our response should be no less than that of the wise men. We are to worship Jesus. Now. Some people think of worship as just that part that we just did right here, the singing part, okay? That part in or that time in the service where you get to discover the ability of your neighbor to carry a tune or not to carry a tune. I would be in the latter part. That's why they don't give me a microphone back there. But worship is so much more. Worship is really giving reverent honor to something or something that we hold as sacred. So think about things that you worship. What do you worship? Those things that you place forefront in in your mind, those things that get the most attention from you, what do you worship? I was uh, reading through some stories and I recently came upon a true story about a woman named Maria who in 1977 was assembling a burrito when she discovered or she noticed that the skillet marks on one of her her tortillas resembled the face of Jesus. So excited, she showed it to her husband and neighbors and they all agreed that that there was indeed a face etched on the tortilla and that it truly bore a resemblance with the familiar iconic images of Jesus. She showed it to everyone she knew and she even testified that the tortilla had changed her life. Her husband agreed that she had been a more peaceful, happy, submissive wife since the tortilla had arrived. (laughs) Mary put the tortilla in a shadow box frame with piles of cotton to make it look like it was floating on clouds and her husband built a special altar for it to rest on. And they put the whole thing in a wooden utility shack in the backyard and opened the shrine to visitors. Within a few months, more than 8,000 people came to the the uh, the shrine of the Jesus of the Tortilla. That's hard to say. And all of them agreed that the face on the burn marks on the tortilla was indeed the face of Jesus, except one reporter who thought it looked like Leon Sphinx, the world heavyweight boxing champion at the time. That's really in the story. Within two years, more than 35,000 people visited the shrine, and they kept coming for 28 years. They kept coming to see the holy tortilla. And then in 2005, tragedy struck. Maria's granddaughter took the tortilla to school for show and tell, and someone accidentally dropped it and shattered it. Maria kept the shadow box now with only fragments of the shattered tortilla floating on the cotton clouds, but none seemed interested anymore, and the family finally closed the deteriorating shrine. Oh my goodness, none of us in here would ever worship a tortilla, right? That's a little crazy. But I found hundreds of these kinds of stories. I found uh, stories of people who worship uh, pieces of toast, where the burnt side had a resemblance of the face of Jesus, and, and people saw the face of Jesus and the rust marks on, on the pipe, and they worshiped those, they cut off the pipe and they, and they worshiped the face of Jesus. What is it that you worship? What do you put first? What is the object or the person that you value most that gets all of your attention? Because that's what worship is. Some people worship money and the acquisition of money. It occupies every thought during every day. Is money what drives you? Maybe it's power. Power or control. I've got to be in control. I've got to be in control of my circumstances, and I'm going to worship that control. And when I don't have that control, I'm going to a little nutty. Some people worship their children, letting their children's schedules and activities be the driving force for the family, and even allowing those activities to replace church attendance or youth group. I know my family and I struggle to balance that one. Some people even worship the bottle, and I know from unfortunate past experiences that if you pay homage to the bottle, you will usually spend time bowing before the porcelain throne. (laughs) happens. We are not worship anybody but Jesus Christ. And, and it, you know, the first two of the Ten Commandments tell us that. Exodus 20 says this, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have a thousand gods before me. It doesn't say that. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall worship nothing else. He goes on to say, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them." He, he thought this was important enough to make it the first two commandments. You see, our posture, our heart attitude, our approach to Jesus Christ should be no different than the wise men's. We are to respond to Jesus Christ in worship. But it's more than just singing. It's more than just raising our hands or, or just kneeling. It's bringing all of our attention, all of our adoration and all of our heart before the Lord and declaring that he alone is Lord of our life and it happens more than once a week on a Sunday morning. Worship is supposed to be a lifestyle. The wise men got worship and their very first response to their very first encounter with Jesus Christ was to worship him as Lord and Savior. And their second response was just as powerful Matthew 2.11 says this. says, then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. <coughs> they brought their gifts to Jesus. And see, the Magi, they spent a fortune on their gifts. These weren't just little trinkets. Okay, I brought you a keychain. No. These were incredibly valuable gifts brought to honor Jesus Christ as King. And it, so if we were to follow the the Magi's example, we would bring Jesus very expensive gifts too, right? Well, I, I believe that we're supposed to follow that, ex, that example, that we're supposed to bring valuable treasures to Jesus Christ. But um, the gold staffs that I have in my sock drawer is running just a little bit low, and I'm fresh out of frankincense and myrrh. So to think about bringing valuable treasures to Jesus on a pastor's salary is, is a little bit... Feels a little impossible, a little bit obscure. So Romans tells us just how to respond to Jesus with our treasures. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that what or that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I love what this verse says. It says it's our only reasonable service. And the Greek word for reasonable here is logikos, which actually means rational or logical. So the only logical response to an encounter with Jesus Christ, the king of all kings, the only response that makes any rational sense is to bring all of ourselves before him, to be used as a gift for his glory. To bring him our lives as a gift, as a living sacrifice. I know that can still seem a little bit obscure. So I wanted to illustrate what bringing our treasures forward to the Lord might look like. And, and I want to do so by telling um, a short story of a new friend of mine. I met this friend. I actually, in letting her off the hook, I promised never to make her speak publicly, so that's why you don't. She's not up here, but I I have her permission to tell the story. I met my friend in September in Rooted when uh, we were placed in the same group together. But just a few weeks before, her husband and I had been out in the lobby, and we prayed together that she would even come to Rooted because their marriage was in dire straits. They were hurting, and he was pretty sure that she wouldn't even set foot in a group like that. And God clearly answered our prayer because our Rooted group began, and there she was smack dab in the middle of it. And, and, you know, my friend was definitely withdrawn during our discussion time. She didn't know, and she was not, she was so unsure about all this Jesus stuff. She was super quiet. But then during our second discussion with the group, as we're all talking about our relationship with Jesus and what that looks like, she got honest. She made a choice to actually open up, and she admitted that she didn't have a relationship with Jesus. She wanted to. She saw everybody around her with This, but she had no idea how. What does that look like? And that that night my friend gave her first gift to Christ. She gave Christ her life. She acknowledged him as her Lord and committed to follow him. It was an incredible night. And the change that we saw, all of us in our group, my whole group's here today, by the way, the change that we saw over the following eight weeks was nothing short of miraculous. My friend began to open up during our discussions. She began to read her Bible. She told us she didn't get half of it, but she would bring her questions to our discussion. She admitted the trouble that she'd had with alcohol and how she wanted to move forward and be completely delivered from that addiction. During our serve experience, she visited a homeless shelter with us, and she was scared out of her wits at these dangerous homeless guys. But she brought her gift of herself and said, I'm willing to serve, I don't know how, and I'm scared, but I'm willing to serve. And she served these guys. And God took the blinders off of her eyes and showed her that these are just normal guys, normal guys living on the streets, and they're hurting. And she had a place to be able to love them and show them compassion. She brought that gift of love and compassion forward to the Lord. At every turn in the ten weeks of Rooted where my friend encountered Jesus, she responded by giving her her treasure, more of her heart. In the talks on finances, her husband loved those, she hated those. <laughs> she entered in willingly, and she's now committed to go to a financial peace conference with him. And, and people around her began to notice that something was different in how she carried herself. There was a confidence that was new and refreshing. And she and her husband began holding hands in our group, and pretty soon they were entwined around each other, and we were all mm-hmm. blushing, like, like, just don't look over there. Their, their marriage started to heal still has some ways to go. And then just a few weeks ago during our rooted celebration, my friend gave another gift to Jesus. She gave her public testimony. See, my friend made a decision to declare her faith in Christ publicly and be baptized. And guess who it was who got to baptize her? It wasn't me. I stood by as her husband, the man who had prayed for God to save his marriage and his wife, gently lowered his wife into the water and baptized her in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It was an incredible moment, an incredible gift that she gave to the Lord. See, my friend had an encounter with Jesus and it changed her and she's not perfect. She's still got lots that she's working through. She and her hubby still have lots that they're working through, but they started on a journey. She started on a journey a transformation, a renewing of her mind, as the author of Romans put it, that would never have been possible without her response, her willingness to give her life as a treasured gift, a living sacrifice presented to Jesus Christ. So many of us come to Jesus with our hands out. We come to get. We walk in those doors, and yeah, some of, sometimes we walk in those doors and we were, we're hurting. We're hurting. Lord Jesus, I need hope. Give me some hope. Lord Jesus, I need peace. Give me some peace. I need some provision. Bills are due. Give me. Lord, I need freedom in this area that I'm stuck. I need to get. I need to get me some peace, freedom, hope. And my friend didn't come to Rooted any different. She came to Rooted coming to Get. She knew her marriage was hurting. She knew she was hurting. She knew she needed something. But what my friend discovered was that it was the giving, it was in the giving of her treasures, the giving of her honesty, the giving of her faith and her spirit, her soul, the giving of her service and her compassion to others, the giving of her public testimony, her story and her worship, that it was in the giving that she was truly changed by Christ. You know, the wise men came thousands of years ago. And they came to Jesus simply to give him their worship and their gifts. And I believe that they were changed too. Christmas is over for 2015, but we have a new year just about to begin. What would it look like for you to give one more gift this year? What would it look like for you to give yourself as a treasure to Jesus Christ? I'm going to invite the band to come back up and I want us to consider what that would look like. Maybe that looks like laying down the thing that we are holding onto most tightly, the thing that we, are, that we treasure the most. Maybe that's your spouse. I know for, for so long, I held John up as my Jesus. He was the one I worshiped. My every emotion, my thoughts, my, my behaviors all hinged on John's response to me. I had to lay him down. Maybe that looks like your kids placing Jesus before your kids, above all else. What treasure would you bring to Jesus and lay down? Your income, your status, your job? See, giving giving our treasures to Jesus is, is really a matter of recognizing those things that we hold most dear and laying them at the feet of Christ. Maybe it's our faith for the very first time. Declaring, okay, my faith is now in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's for the 150th time that that declaration needs to be made. Declaring that he is Lord of our lives above all else. The band's gonna play a song and I wanna give us an opportunity to respond to Christ. To respond with worship and treasures. And and maybe this looks like to you, worshiping in a new way, kneeling or or raising your hands for the first time, or maybe you don't sing, maybe it's closing your eyes and just focusing all of your attention and, and your adoration on the Lord. If you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is an opportunity for you to do that. While the guys are singing, you can just say that. Lord Jesus, I'm going to give you my life. My faith is in you. You are Lord over my life. Whatever it is that the Lord's asking you to lay down before him, respond in worship, and bring your treasures forward in this next song. Let's sing together. Lord Jesus, we declare as a a group, as your people, that you are, Lord. That everything that we celebrated just a few days ago, we believe. And worshiping you, Lord, we know is is sometimes a matter of walking it out, sometimes a matter of discovery. So, Lord, I I pray that as as we all exit today, Father, that you would show us what a lifestyle of worshiping you looks like what moving beyond just the singing portion of church service looks like, what adoring you looks like in our lives. Father, would you show us whether or not that, that's in our behavior, whether or not that's in, in our, our relationship with you and there needs to be a change there, whether it's in something in, our, in ourselves that, that you're asking us to address, whether it's a person or a place that you're asking us to lay down object that you're asking, asking us to lay down before you and leave it there, Lord, would you remind us when we try to pick it back up, would you would you remind us to lay them back down at your feet and to give you your tra- our treasures, Lord, to bring you our treasures and leave them there as gifts to be used for your glory, to honor you as king and lord over our lives. We thank you, Father God, that you love us so much. You came to this earth Humbled yourself. And we thank you that you don't demand worship from us. We freely give it today. We want to give you all our praise. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.